morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Jenny Lam and my co-host today is Janice Wong. Uh, today on Backchat, we'll be talking about Japan's decision to start releasing radioactive wastewater into the sea tomorrow, a move as neighbors, including Hong Kong, strongly oppose. The contaminated water was used to cool nuclear reactors damaged by the earthquake and tsunami that hit the Fukushima plant back in 2011. Japan insists discharging the water into the Pacific Ocean is completely safe, but Chief Executive John Lee says it's an irresponsible move that would cause irreversible pollution to the ocean ecology. In response, Hong Kong will ban imports of aquatic products from 10 areas of Japan from Thursday. So what do you think about the release of more than 1 million tons of treated radioactive water into the ocean? What impact will it have? After 9.45, we'll be looking into a new study on dementia risks among Hong Kongers. So let us know what you think. You can leave us a message here on our Facebook page, email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233-88266. Joining us in the studio today is Professor Takashi Hibiki. He's a chair professor of thermal fluid engineering from City University of Hong Kong. Good morning, Professor Hibiki. Hi, good morning. Good morning. So um, what do you th make of this uh, International Atomic Energy Agency report? Yeah, actually, you know, uh, Triturated Water Task Force and our subcommittee spent six years discussing the option to dispose of arbitrated water safely. And also IAEA spent two years evaluation of the uh, Japan's approach. In total, they spent over eight years. This is ex extensive uh, you know, period. Uh, actually, last month, on July 4th, IAEA published the IAEA Comprehensive Report on the Safety Review of the Arbitrated Water at the Kushima Daiichi Nuclear Power Station. Actually, there are four tips to understand the report well. The first one is that uh, no absolute safety can be achieved. So somebody say that the 100 safety is necessary, but in real world, you know, 100 safety doesn't exist. Actually, that the reason risk assessment and the benefit should be evaluated before we take action. For example, if we drink water every day, uh, water increases some radioactive tritium. If the amount of tritium is small, then the risk is negligible. Then when we discuss about the risk or probability, then we need to provide the you know, risk assessment. This is a scientific way. Right. Um, but the Ministry of Foreign Affairs uh, up in Beijing yesterday said it is irresponsible of Japan to do so and it is unnecessary. Are there other ways of dealing with this radioactive water? But actually, you know, uh, they, uh, they consider the various, you know, options, including the uh, vapor release and the uh, water release and also geometrical and the concrete and blah, blah, blah. So many, many options are considered. But then finally, final conclusion is actually nuclear uh, industry uh, prefer to the uh, proven technology only, not the innovative one. This is the most economic way of playing with it, am I right? No, I, I don't know. But uh, they do not consider that uh, like a cost because they always go with proven technology. For example, the other method like uh, 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 Tritium water is transformed into the hydrogen, but uh, this release, no like uh, industry mature track record that the reason, you know, only option is releasing the uh, arbitrated water into the ocean. This has a, a long history, 
then this method is already proven as a safe. That's the reason. All right. And Professor Hibiki, before yes. we continue with our discussion, can you explain where all this wastewater actually comes from and, and how is it generated? Uh, actually, as you know, the you know, core meltdown happened uh, right, in a nuclear power plant. Then uh, uh, if we need to cool down the, you know, this uh, uh, melted nuclear reactor core, this is the so-called debris. So we need to cool down the debris. Okay? Then actually, uh, in addition to this, you know, groundwater, rainwater comes into the, you know, or like a nuclear reactor building. This will be another source to produce contaminated water. So basically, everyday rainwater and also like uh, uh, underground water comes into the reactor core. This is a source of the uh, uh, contaminated water. Right. So Japan is uh, scheduled to release this uh, contaminated water into the ocean tomorrow. And uh, the water has been treated, but it is still radioactive. So in your view, how much of a health risk does it actually pose? Uh, actually, you know, uh, for example, the uh, regulation level. So very important te uh, technical like a term is a ratio of legally required concentration, like a ratio. Ratio equal one means every day we drink the water, two liter water every day for one year. Then what is additional uh, dose of the radiation? This is one millisievert. So one millisievert means what? Actually, uh, in, on average, we receive 2.4 millisievert dose from the year, uh, you know, natural. Right, but, but this, this uh, standard varies throughout the world. Uh, I, I was looking it up with the World Health Organization. Um, it, it is uh, about 10,000 baccarat per liter. In Japan, it is 60 baccarat per liter. In Australia, it is more than 76,000 uh, baccarat per liter. Sorry, in Japan, it's 60,000. In Norway, it is only 100 baccarat per liter. So this benchmark varies a lot. How can the Hong Kong government be sure that seafood from Japan is not going to cause harm with people in Hong Kong? That reason, you know, ratio of legal requirement means that if this ratio is equal to one, okay, additional dose, health risk is uh, one millisievert. This is uh, almost one third of annual disposal. So when the, we drink the uh, diluted arbitrated water every day, two liter, okay, then what is additional risk? Only 0.15%. So this means that they're negligible. So okay. even if we drink diluted arbitrated water two liter per, per day, one year, this is impossible. But even you do it, the additional risk is only 0.15%. This is the maximum. Okay, so joining us on the line now is Professor Rudolf Wu. He's an advisor on environmental science at the Department of Science and Environmental Studies at Education University of Hong Kong. Good morning, Professor Wu. Uh, good morning. Morning. Um, do you agree with Professor Hibiki that the risk are minimal? Sorry? Do you agree with Professor Hibiki that the release of this radioactive water into oh. the ocean, um, the risk to human health is minimal? Well, I, I cannot agree. And basically, I think it's looking at some of the data, but not the others. And then one important thing is that the actual neglect, the fact that when the, all these radionuclides, when they go in the water, despite this low concentration, and it, the first thing is that some of these nuclei will be about accumulated along the food chain 
bioaccumulation or biomagnification. That is to say, when this phytoplankton or the plant picks it up, they will concentrate this. And then when the animals, like zooplankton, or like the streams and things like that, eat the plant, and they will further accumulate this. And when they reach the fish, after several steps of the food trophic level, and then they will further concentrate this. That's point number one. Point number two, which has been neglected, is the tritium that he mentioned is in organic form. I agree with him. And then tritium in organic form is relatively harmless. However, one thing that has been neglected at all is that when tritium goes in the water, they will change into organic form. Once it changes organic form, the toxicity will increase. And then there's several studies already published in scientific literature showing that the organic tritium can be bioaccumulated and also can cause DNA damage, mutation, developmental abnormalities, and reproductive impairment in a number of marine animals, including fish, oysters, and sea urchin, etc. What do you so think, Professor Hibiki, that it will accumulate in the food chain? Okay, thank you very much. Actually, you know, important thing is that when we discuss about the risk and also possibility, uh, we need to know the risk level. What is additional dose level? Actually, when I read the newspaper, many people just emphasize risk, but no quantitative risk assessment. But IAEA report utilizes transparent uh, model and all transparent assumptions. Then everybody can follow and trace the, their calculation. Then they came up the uh, risk level. But the people who uh, emphasize risk, no quantitative you know, risk level is given. So unless you give me the risk level, I cannot argue. This is the first thing. Second thing is a tritium accumulation, a concentration in the human body or some, some other. Actually, the, uh, I, I have the, some information. Actually, the Korean government also uh, emphasized that accumulation of tritium in the main body is not happen. So this is a consensus. Uh, but Professor Wu is saying that the tritium will change into a different organic form once it's in the ocean. Yeah, but this will be discharged because not to stay there forever, okay? So the uh, accumulation means that the tritium, one tritium stay in our body forever, right? But this will be discharged. For example, if we drink the water, this, will be, this water will be discharged, right? Okay, Professor Wu, your response? No, that it will be just discharged from I the think, body. I think, I think it's simplifying the picture, and then some of these are actually wrong. I'm, I'm sorry to say that. And then, the, and then I agree with him that there's no current risk assessment because no study has been done. Because, but I, however, you cannot neglect the fact that's not come from one single study. Come on, there's been several studies in different countries show that they can change in organic form. Right. Once they change in organic form, they can concentrate. Okay. And you, now, let yeah. me give you an example. And then in Japan, for example, the Minamata disease, which is very famous, occurred in the 50s. And that every Japanese and all, all the people learning and my mental science will remember. Right. Just like, just like similar to this. And then when 
mercury occurs in in organic form, the toxicity is very low. But once they change the organic form, they can bioaccumulate and then they can extract. Okay. Thank you. Uh, Joining us on the line now is the ex-co-convenor and lawmaker Regina Yip. Good morning, Mr. Sip. Good morning. morning. Um, So uh, can you walk us through how Hong Kong authorities came to this decision that we should ban seafood import from Japan? Um, The government has been keeping the full force of Japan's plan to I'm sorry, we, we, I think we, we got interrupted there right. with uh, Regina Ip's call. Um, so back to you, um, Professor Hibiki. Yes. Uh, Professor Wu is saying that uh, you are simply not correct in the assessment about... Like um, uh, team. Yes. Organic tourism. Actually, the uh, IAE report also addressed the effect of this, uh, you know, tourism uh, taken in uh, our body in a conservative way. So IAE also evaluated the risk. Then risk level is very negligible. Yeah, the Hong Kong government is saying that they have to take a very conservative view in order to protect the well-being of uh, Hong Kong people. Uh, That's why they're banning seafood import from 10 prefectures in Japan. Do you think that's uh, uh, acceptable? Yeah, actually, um, since I'm not a politician, I'm not in the position to say this, this government should do this and do that, okay? But the major point is, uh, I agree, conservative approach is always important. You know, IAEA report, only 130 pages, but you can find uh, 33 Conservative, word of conservative appear okay. 33 times. Okay, so, sorry, we have Regina Ip back on the line now. Sorry, Mr. Sibri got cut off earlier. So you were saying, uh, you know, the I decision. It's, it's inaccurate to describe the Hong Kong government's approach as conservative. The Hong Kong government is simply adopting the safety first approach to protect human wealth, to protect our health. You know, it has announced it will ban. Um, marine products from Chinese detections of Japan and we test all food products and will continue to monitor the radioactive levels of our seawaters as well as the radioactive level of our fish, of our fish tanks. So this will, so the government is adopting a very scientific approach. You know, the plan, uh, the ELPS, are recommended by the, adopted by the Japanese government. It's unprecedented. It's untested. And there are scientists who cast doubts on it. Uh, the test only focuses on tissue, you know, but there are other radionuclides, like the iodine-129, cobalt-60, strontium, which cannot be diluted and which are very harmful. So I think we really need to adopt a safety-first approach. And, yeah. and Mrs. Ip, what do you think of the government's response so far? I mean, um, is it enough for now, or do you think um, more should be done in future? The government has been in discussion with the food industry. They, it, uh, the government's plan is not anticipated. Uh, I think the government make it very clear that they will continue to monitor the radioactive levels of the uh, seawater. Uh, as well as the radioactive level of the fish caught by our fishermen. So it's an ongoing situation. 
you simply have to be highly vigilant. Okay, um, Mrs. Sip, Hulk, uh, Japan is a favorite holiday destination for Hong Kong people. Should they be worried about going there? I think it's for our citizens to make their own decisions, taking into account the safety risks. But I know that a lot of our caterers are already diversifying the sources of their supply of uh, marine products uh, to serve their clients. Thank you very much for joining us uh, this morning, Mrs. Yip. Um, so back to you, Professor Hibiki. Regina Yip is saying it's not just the tritium. There's iodine, there's strontium. We don't know the long-term risks. Yeah, actually, you know, uh, those uh, cesium and the cobalt, retain and uh, strontium iron, those radioactive materials will be removed by the Alps. Okay? This will be make sure that, uh, you know, by monitoring. Okay? So that actually those species... A radioactive nuclide uh, level is very, very low. So then, not like uh, uh, doesn't cause any you know, problem to their health. Yeah, you know, this opposition is not just outside Japan. There's a lot of opposition in Japan, especially from the fishing industry. What is being done to protect the people there? Actually, important thing is uh, I I visited uh, Fukushima last uh, March to to talk to the uh, fishermen people, and uh, also people in agriculture. Actually, strange thing is they already know the safety of, they already, already know that fish and uh, rice and uh, vegetable are pretty much safe. Because the reason why they oppose is just reputation damage, not like uh, radiation risk. This is a problem. You, you said you visited Fukushima in March 2023? No, no, no. This March. This right. March. Uh, okay. Um, so can you describe to me what Fukushima looks like now? Is, is it inhabited? Are people living there as they were before? Yeah, actually, uh, when I talked to the Kushima people, they said that, they said to me was, actually, I mean that she, okay? I would like to people to understand Fukushima became a normal life. This the, pe is, the people are just living, there was a huge exclusion zone after this. No, um, only 2.3% of the total Fukushima prefecture, only 2.3% is a, a selected zone. Other places, pretty much safe. Actually, the uh, radiation level in uh, other Fukushima area is actually less than the Hong Kong. Then people just return to the normal life. Okay. Uh, Professor Wu, Professor Hibiki is saying that the, actually the radiation level is less than what we have here in Hong Kong. What do you think? No, I don't know. As a scientist, I on my argument and my view is based on hard facts. I do not have the data, and then so I cannot answer this question. But I would be totally surprised, and then if that's the case. And but one thing I'd like to point out is that uh, if you're saying that uh, dilution is the solution, and then it can easy, be easily, you can easily meet any standard. You just dilute this in water, saying that it's a concentration that you desire. If it's not achievable, you dilute it once again, dilute 10 times, 100 times, that can solve the problem. But in environmental science, this is not the case, I'm sorry. And Professor Wu, I mean, earlier, Professor Hibiki, he was talking about how um, many experts have talked about, uh, or many places, many governments, they have talked about uh, the risk of uh, tritium in uh, water. But uh, he wants to know the actual risk level, because, I mean, people have been talking about risk, but nobody has talked about the actual risk level. But, I mean, is it possible to talk about, to, to uh, provide a risk level? Because, I mean, are there enough studies that have been done? No. 
this is not easy because the, when, when you try to do risk assessment, you need to do it quantitatively. So you, you need to a lot of study, and this is exactly what is lacking, right? I mean, because you don't don't do anything, you said, well, the risk we don't have risk assessment because we did not do it. And then I um, let me show you an example, not to mention the Fukushima. And radiation outfall, which may affect so many people, so many people concerned. Even in normal situation, like when you discharge just normal wastewater, or when you try to develop a, a certain coastline, and then they need the environmental impact assessment, which compare the pros and cons, the cost benefit, and also the risk of all different options. But if this is not happening, and then you're then you try to argue, saying, oh, there's no risk assessment, and this is why it's not important. And again, it's quite different, quite different from what most of the environmental science is thinking or doing. Uh, Professor Hibiki, this release of radioact- radioactive water is actually a part of normal operations of nuclear plants in many parts of the world, am I correct? Yes, actually, um, you know, for example, the, uh, here, Yanjian Nuclear Power Plant is uh, located near Hong Kong, right? They release uh, treated water five times larger than Fukushima. Also, other, you know, South Korea or oh. Taiwan, other places also produce, uh, release the tritium into the ocean for many, many years. Can I ask what is the source of that information? Actually, uh, Jen, um, actually, this one is also, uh, this so- source is uh, taken from the uh, China, you know, uh, China kind of website. I mean that the electricity. I forget about it. Professor Wu, um, what do you think? Professor Hibiki is saying there are other uh, nuclear power plants that are actually releasing releasing a higher level of radiation. Oh, I don't. I, I, again, I don't have any information on the case quantitative assessment. But however, it's true that they release this tritium in the water in other nuclear power plants. But one thing again is very misleading or people should like, like to know. Now, there's two things from the toxicology point of view, from the environmental assessment point of view. Both things are important. The first is the concentration. The second is the duration of exposure. Now, let me show you an example that most of the laymen can understand. We all know that smoking, okay, may cause lung cancer, okay? Now, but however, if you smoke just once in a while, well, that the risk is very small. Likewise, if you are discharging to tritium at very low level, at very low concentration, in small amount, okay? Now, the risk would be smaller. But in Fukushima, you are discharging it continually for 30 years, and then just plus the fact that, which I mentioned before, that people have been neglected or tried to neglect the transformation of this tritium in their environment which when they accumulate, they only talk about the, the sort of the concentration that they discharge, but they did not sort of consider the duration and the total volume that they discharge. And again, from the environmental science point of view, from the risk assessment point of view, this is totally wrong and totally misleading. I'm sorry. 
Okay, um, we will continue this conversation about uh, Japan's decision to release radioactive wastewater uh, right after the news at 9.30. And uh, let's have a look at the weather. We'll have sunny intervals. There'll be a few showers and isolated thunderstorms today. It's hot with a maximum temperature of about 32 degrees and light to moderate south to southeasterly winds. The outlook is for a few showers over the next couple of days. There'll be sunny periods over the weekend and early next week. Uh, right now, the temperature outside is 30 degrees Celsius and the relative humidity is 78%. And here's the news with Maya Kerwin. The chairman of the Hong Kong Japanese Food and Cuisine Association says he expects the ban on Japanese seafood imports to result in a drop in business of at least 20 to 30% for restaurants. Dennis Wu said even though the ban was only on 10 Japanese prefectures, it would give the perception that the entire Japanese food industry was in danger. The Pakistani Interior Ministry says all eight people have been rescued from a broken cable car dangling hundreds of metres above a ravine. Six of them were schoolchildren. Army helicopters freed one of the passengers and the remaining people were brought to safety by rescue teams using zip wires. And the Greek authorities say 18 people, presumed to have been migrants, have died in a wildfire in northeastern Greece. Their bodies were not found far. Their bodies were found not far from the Turkish border. A fire brigade spokesman said it was likely that those who, those who died, had not been aware of the evacuation orders in place. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. Scammers are everywhere. If an unknown caller claims to be a law enforcement officer, even if they have your personal information, you should never transfer money or disclose your bank account information, especially any passwords. Some online scammers may pretend to be lovers and investment experts. At the beginning of the investment, you might earn a little, but the scammers will eventually take all your money. When in doubt, call the police anti-scam helpline, one 2 Extreme weather. Severe landslides. A chain of disasters. Don't think this kind of disaster only happens in movies. In recent years, extreme weather has caused severe landslides around the world. So please, listen out for landslip warnings. If disaster strikes, everyone could be in danger. We should cooperate with the government's emergency response plans. And welcome back to Backchat. Uh, this morning, we're talking about Japan's decision to release radioactive wastewater from the Fukushima nuclear power plant. Joining us on the line now is William Pasaki, a journalist based in Tokyo. Good morning, William. Good morning. Good morning. So what is the reaction in Japan to this decision? Well, I think there's, there, this is a moment of uh, public caution if you will. I think one of the interesting public dynamics here is that I think many Japanese are a bit surprised that 12 years after the Fukushima crisis, we're still talking about this, this issue, that the extent to which Japan has slow-walked efforts to stabilize not only the nuclear situation in Fukushima, but to also explain uh, the situation to neighbors around the world. I think many Japanese are a bit frustrated and surprised that, again, a dozen years after the initial crisis, uh, we're still dealing with the fallout. And geopolitically, of course, it's become a bit of a albatross for Tokyo and at a moment when it should be 
mending fences with neighbors and cozying up to economies like Hong Kong, China, South Korea, Taiwan. It's doing the opposite at the moment. Uh, apart, of, apart from the impact on uh, geopolitics and uh, maybe the fishing industry, are people actually worried about their health there? Well, I would say not so much, because I think in many ways uh, the Japanese are taking their cues from what the government is saying, and they're also taking comfort from the IAEA claiming that this has a, a negligible impact on health risks. Um, you know, certainly there are some concerns here about the economy. Uh, if fisheries do see boycotts, if agricultural organizations see boycotts in the Asia region, that will hit the economy at, at a very uh, tender moment, if you will. But I do think that the Japanese generally are taking their cues from the authorities here and they think that the risks are yeah, generally pretty, pretty small, hopefully. Okay. Uh, Professor Hibiki, before the break, Professor Wu was pointing out that this um, radioactive water will be released over 30 years, and he made an analogy of exposure to smoking. The duration of the exposure is very long. What is your reaction to that? Yeah, actually, uh, you know, smoking is not a good example to, to mimic this, uh, you know, uh, uh, discharge of the water because uh, uh, totally different, you know, uh, story. And another thing is that the reason why it takes 30 years, because Japanese government is very conservative. So they are actually tritium water, total amount is only 16 grams. This is the same as the volume of the one bottle of the eye drop. Okay? Then every month you drop one drop tritium water, continue 30 years. That's the reason why it takes 30 years. Okay? So they, Actually, if just government can shorten it, I think they can do it. But, uh, Professor Hibiki, I mean, you're talking about uh, the situation in Japan, of course, and uh, before the news, you're talking about how um, this is also the case in many other places. They're also uh, releasing wastewater containing tritium into the ocean. So, I mean, if different places are doing the same thing, will the amount of tritium in the ocean actually increase the, the actual concentration, and would that be harmful? Yeah, but actually, the, uh, even... The, uh, many nuclear power plants release a tritium, but uh, if I compared, if we compare this tritium amount to the uh, whole, in, whole earth inventory, very negligible. So as I said, you know, from the Fukushima, only 16 gram tritium will be uh, disposed to the ocean. I don't think this will change the concentration of the uh, tritium in the water. Um I'm sorry to say that Japan of all countries have, must know about the suffering from radiation exposure. Um, and it's a fact that since the atomic bomb, generations of people suffer from cancer. Now, this is, this is radiation. Um, shouldn't the rest of the world be worried about that? I, of course it's not at the same level, nowhere near. But shouldn't, don't people have a justifiable um, reason to worry? Yeah, actually, the, uh, let's talk about the tritium, okay? No health hazards due to tritium have been reported so far because nuclear reactor operation happened, you know, 50 years ago. Since then, continuously, uh, tritium water is released into the ocean, but uh, no single case health, health hazard due to the tritium reported. If tritium is accumulated to us, then so cancer rate should be increased drastically, right? But this doesn't happen, right? So this is a fact. So I don't think uh, 
you know, uh, diluted, arbitrated water into the ocean cause any issue. This is consistent with the IAEA comprehensive report. Um, William Pasek, do you think politics has a part to play in, in this sort of, you know, whether we agree that this is safe or not? Well, yes, certainly. I think the, the professor makes a good point in that, you know, another way to look at it is it's been pointed out that we're talking about the equivalent of roughly 500 Olympic-sized pools um, being emptied into the seas over 30 years. And that's why the IAEA claims that the risk is negligible. I think the problem here, though, is the politics in that I think that Japanese governments often do not do a very good job of explaining to the Asia region what they're doing and what they're thinking. And I think that the professor makes a great argument, but the memo is not getting out. The message is not getting out. And I think that Prime Minister Kishida, it's great that he went to Camp David and met with President Yoon of South Korea and President Biden of the U.S. And it's fine that Japan has buy-in here, uh, at least um, to some extent from the U.S. government. But I think Japan does need to do more fence-mending in the region. And I think that Prime Minister Kishida basically needs to do a little more traveling around North Asia to explain why Japan believes this is a safe and necessary step at this particular moment in time. And I think that the argument might be sound, but I don't think the message is getting out the way that the Japanese government thinks it is. Uh, actually, it's not just North Asia. It's also the Pacific Islands. There's the Pacific Islands Island, Forum, yes. that, uh, you know, which is uh, 17 global, different global island nations around the, the Pacific, saying that um, they need to delay, delay the plan um, and come up with some more transparency and data. What do you think? Yeah, actually, you know, this is a very good point. So the communication is very important. In that sense, uh, Japanese government, I hope they will make another effort. But actually, you know, IAEA uh, committed that uh, they are going to commit the, this arbitrated water release before, during, after. So this means that the IAEA is actively involved in monitoring the uh, sampling of the uh, seawater level actively, independently, then they are going to um, uh, put the, uh, those information on the website in a real-time level. This will promote kind of the transparency and also what's going on. All right. Professor Wu, are you there? Yes. So, so what do you think? I mean, uh, William and uh, Professor Hibiki thinks that communication may be the, the main problem here. Oh, yes. Communication is important, I, I said. But I think I, but because if I read through the report and some of this information are not accessible to the public, something like, for example, one thing a lot of people concern is that is after the treatment and then how many uh, the other radionuclides are being removed, something like 10%, 90%, 99%, and what's the concentration of this radionuclide in water? That's also raised a lot of concerns uh, in Hong Kong. And then uh, the other thing is I keep on pointing out, <clears throat> when you do the risk assessment, you cannot say, well, we don't have any risk assessment, and then this is why it's safe. So in that case, I mean, you don't need to do anything at all. Right. And, and, and Professor Wu, I mean, earlier, Professor Hibiki, when he talked about uh, the uh, impact of tritium, he, he said there's, there's not been much uh, any uh, real impact of uh, tritium on a people's health. He, he used a uh, cancer rate as an example. He said there's not been an increase in cancer rate. Is that uh, the only thing we can look at when we, when we look uh, at the not, impact? Not really. No, there's two things here. 
the first thing is the environmental health, the second is the public health. He's talking about just like a lot of people, something like as the argument is that you can drink this tritium water. Now, there's again from the scientific point of view, that's a bit sort of misleading. So if you drink this tritium water, that's in inorganic form. Okay, this will be excreted outside your body pretty soon. As I pointed out before, once it goes in the environment, they change organic form, they will be accumulated, the concentration will be increased. And also, they will affect the animal, marine animals and marine plants in a different way as we drink tritium water. So that's different. What do you think, Professor Vicky? The damage to the environment cannot be assessed at this moment. Actually, I think... Uh, we have a huge difference about the premise. This means that even if uh, Japanese, Japan released the arbitrated water into the ocean, tritium level in the uh, ocean doesn't change almost at all. Within uh, one or two kilometer from the discharging point, uh, concentration of the tritium is increased. But uh, far from those, then concentration doesn't change. If concentration doesn't change, how can, you know, Cancer rate and the other because you know, it will cause mutation that we don't know of yet. What what kind of mutation do you do you think? I I don't know. I mean, yeah. you know, right right now you you're simply saying, as Professor Wu points out, you keep going back to this point that the tritium level is small. We drink it, we excrete it. It's all yes. fine. But then he's saying that the environmental damage, uh, we don't know what the potentials are at this point. Yeah, but actually the IEA comprehensive report did, uh, did assessment to the human being as well as to the environment. So the IEA report care about the human being, also crabs and the flat fish and the seaweed. Then this level is a one divided one, one million. This is a negligible. Then a conclusion that's, you know, releasing the arbitrated water into the ocean is negligible effect to the human and the environment. This is a conclusion based on the internationally agreed standard. So this is assessment results. Okay, let's, uh, Professor Wu, let's go back to this um, uh, yeah. Hong Kong government uh, ban on seafood. Um, it's, it's banning seafood import from 10 prefectures, many of which are not even coastal area. Do you think that's uh, justifiable? Well, it's a very difficult situation. May I first respond to what the other speaker said, okay? Now, if he said, okay, we released any pollutant into the environment, this is important, and this is quite misleading. I'm sorry to say that. Now, if you say, oh, we release it into the environmental concentration. Now, why the Japanese have to spend money in doing the ALP? You just they will dilute everything, every nuclear, radionuclide into the magnetic concentration and release it. Seawater costs nothing, okay? It's very easy. Now, so you can un easily understand that, as I said before, mentioned before, now, several things are important. The concentration, the duration, and the total amount that you discharge. If you dilute this, that's easy. So in that case, in this world, we don't need sewer treatment at all based on the same argument, isn't it? Now, coming back to the surveillance of seafood, as I said before, the concentration of this tritium and concentration of radionuclide in the seafood, in marine plant, marine animals, is very different from that in water. 
So if you base in the conservation of water, it's totally wrong. Because you neglect the, you know, the sort of phenomena which we call bioaccumulation and biodiversification, which most of the people doing environmental science or doing chemistry will understand. I'm sorry. Now, and then, so, again, different fish and different plants and different mollusks and so on and so forth accumulate them into different capacity. So this is why you have to sample a different range, whole range of uh, seafood with different species. And it's a very, very tedious and demanding job. Now, it's not that easy because, as I said, you have to sample all species of fish from different areas which reflect the likelihood or the degree of being affected. But I mean, however, it's a safe measure to protect the public health. Right. Um, so, Professor Hibiki, um, he, Professor was saying bioaccumulation. Can we shorten the period of time uh, to less than 30 years so that the duration of exposure is less? Actually, I'm, a, I'm not Prime Minister, so I'm not in a position to say that. But uh, technically, yes, because uh, when I read the uh, uh, IAEA comprehensive report, you know, cons the word of conservative appear 32 times. Also, uh, Mr. Mariano Grossi, Director General, say that Japan approach is hyper-conservative. So this means that, you know, a Japan government, if they decide, then they can shorten the time, time period. But uh, again, as, as far as I know, Japan government worry about the reputation damage to cause the trouble to the uh, fishermen. Funny enough, that's exactly the word that the Hong Kong government is saying. We are taking a very conservative approach here to protect the uh, people of Hong Kong. Professor Wu, do you think that's enough is being done to, to protect Hong Kong people? Well, I think they basically, I cannot say this 100% protecting Hong Kong people, but that's reduced the risk tremendously. Again, in risk assessment, there's nothing absolute. So what the Hong Kong government endeavors to do is try to sort of uh, put surveillance program on all different sea type of seafood from these uh, 10 different districts. And that would tremendously decrease the risk of PNPA people being affected. William Pasek, do you think Hong Kong's fear of this radiation exposure is justified? Sorry? William Pasek? I think, I, yes. I, I mean, of course it's justified. I mean, any kind of... And any kind of effort to pump radiated water into the region is going to create geopolitical concerns, and I think that, that it will increase concern among the population. I wonder here in Japan, to some extent, um, if this might backfire over time on Prime Minister Kushida, in that one of the Liberal Democratic Party's big policies in recent years has been restarting nuclear power plants. Um, does this refocus attention on the risks involved? I think that for me, I'm mostly focused on the ways in which the Fukushima crisis, 12 years on, a man-made crisis, continues to damage Japan's soft power globally. You know, this this is uh, basically um, this is this could be imperiling Prime Minister Kishida's efforts to research Japan's role in the Asia region coming now. So it's an interesting 
geopolitical um, imponderable or wild card, if you will. Okay, thank you very much, um, Professor Hibiki uh, from City University of Hong Kong and also Professor Wu from the Education University of Hong Kong and also William Pasak, a Tokyo-based journalist and author. 95 years of public service broadcasting. Stay tuned with Hong Kong. Happy 95th birthday, RTHK. Thank you so much for 95 years of public broadcasting service. Keep up the amazing work. I'm Jill YC. 95 years of public service broadcasting. Stay tuned with Hong Kong. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233-88-266 and have your say. Welcome back to Backchat. We're now switching to talking about dementia risk uh, among Hong Kongers. And we're joined by Vivian Zhang. She's a lecturer in psychology at the Faculty of Social Sciences at Hong Kong Metropolitan University. Good morning, Vivian Zhang. Hi, good morning. morning. Can you tell us a little about your findings? Okay, so um, this is actually a project that, like, we want to investigate the factors like um, the lifestyle habit, education, entertainment, working stages um, with the dementia risk, which we actually capture it by um, ARIA score, which means the artificial analysis of the retinal images in order to evaluate the dementia risk. So um, the significant findings that we find is um, healthy behaviors, including like regular exercise in daily intake for uh, vegetarian foods um, related to a lower dementia risk and like a lower like educational attainment and like being uh, without a job will actually relate with a higher dimension risk. That's what we are, is our key finding. So what can elderly people do to minimize their risk? Okay, so um, I, I think you mean the next step. So um, because this um, for our research project, this is not really for um, its um, diagnosis, but if they actually know that, okay, now I'm in medium risk or even in a high risk, so we really um, will give the suggestion to adjust their current lifestyle, okay, to do more, like to intake more high fiber or to follow the diet suggested by um, the nutritionist, that how to um, maintain health and also um, to, more importantly, to maintain the cognitive health. And what age range did you actually look at? Um, we actually look at individuals that are about 55 years old. Um, do you think the pandemic has made uh, the risk of dementia worse? Um, definitely there can be a correlation, but that is not the focus of our research because I do believe there are some previous finding um, just talking about like social isolation or lower social support related to um, higher like how we including dementia. But like um but like I, I think it is um, not only talking about dementia risk, but I think we we're all having some problems with we are being like long um, time being social isolated or without social support. So definitely it is um, an important like point is to maintain like um, relationship with your friends, with your families and to be connected. So you're talking about exercise and diet. They have an impact on dementia risk. What are the appropriate level of exercise and diet for somebody in their 80s? Okay, so um, for exercising, we are actually um, just follow what the suggestion by our government or Department of Health that is having a regular exercising. Like, um, I am not a professional in this part, but we do have like 
follow their nutritionist advice is like um, six portions of fashion berries a week, um, approximately this kind of number. But like for more details, I really um, encourage uh, citizens or individuals like about 35 years old to follow the suggestions by um, professional nutritionists or the Department of Health. Right. And when you talk about exercise for elderly people, um, what, what kind of exercise are you really talking about? Uh, does uh, playing mahjong count as exercise for, for people who are really, really old? Okay, so we actually include all kind of physical exercise, but like what you mentioned is like definitely very important because we do believe because in our finding we find out like lower educational attainment related to a higher dementia risk, we do believe that may relate to some kind of what you just talked about, um, um, the mental exercise. Let me imagine that kind of things. So um, that is like our next step, the future direction of the research. We want to study the kind of missing linkage about like um, what, um, what explains the effect of the educational attainment. But talking back to our research, the exercise that we include is all kind of physical exercise. When, when you say, so that sounds like you're saying there's an inequity in, in uh, you know, in education and that's correlated with dementia risk. Yeah. Um, can you can you elaborate on that? I mean, are they are they are people with lower level of edu- education not able to access certain facilities or support, and and mm-hmm. therefore there's a correlation. Okay, so um, this is a startup project. So uh, we find out this like significant correlation between educational attainment and this dementia risk. But for our team interpretation, it is um, uh, we do. We are not, first of all, we are not seeing that like people with lower, relatively lower educational attainment, that means they are having a lower learning ability. So they, they are still very flexible in learning. Uh, even like people, if people may think that they are like older adults, but they are still like very, is a capable learner. So our next step is we want to encourage like NGOs or, um, any health-related organization to try to figure out a way to deliver health messages that is suitable for individuals with relatively low educational attainment to read, to understand, to digest, and then they can follow and to change their lifestyle, etc. So this is what we um, want to suggest in the future um, actions and also it is our interpretations. Yeah, you're saying that health message is not getting through to to people with lower level of education? What, what do you mean by lower level of education? Okay, so it's relatively lower. So in our sample, um, um, maybe like um, this is a very, um, I, I mean like we usually study is a primary, secondary uh, or having a bachelor degree. So um, we, we, have, we, we are thinking about, we do not want to label a particular group than your low education attainment, but they have, have to be lower. So like in um, secondary or primary is definitely lower than a bachelor degree. But so it is um, really we're using the same health messages um, to deliver their information to this three um, different level of um, people, three levels of educational attainment. Um, it is an appropriate rate. So this is what we want to suggest. Okay, so um, because in our project, we do not like with all the data to support that. But this is in the future that we want to investigate on. We are not talking about like, okay, you are like low and you're high, but definitely having a, on a like spectrum. Okay, so um, maybe set up for primary attainment, um, what kind of like template or 
um, even on the advertisement, on the health information, like what we can do for them to better understand their um, information. And uh, Ms. Zhang, when you when you looked at uh, some of the respondents uh, you, you in the study, um, you talked about uh, healthy behaviour and uh, healthy diet. Um, did you notice anything uh, in common among the people who, who, are, who are less healthy? I mean, did they eat uh, uh, very, very little vegetables, for example, or, or how much mm-hmm. exercise did they actually do per week, for example? Mm-hmm. Okay, so in our sample, they actually, um, like, um, Quite uh, most of the participants actually have a habit in regular exercising. I am not surprised to be because a lot of older adults in Hong Kong, they like uh, when they wake up, they just go to the park to do some exercise with their friends. Um, but for the vegetable and fruit um, intake, daily intake, um, that is relatively lower than the standard suggested by the department have in our sample. Like let's say in our sample, like um, only around like 30 to 40 percent of participants. Um, having a daily intake of um, more than a medium size of food and a bowl of cooked vegetables. So um, according to the nutritionist in our team, so uh, although I'm not a professional, but according to his advice, we do need to um, increase the intake in order to maintain health and reduce the dementia risk. Have you looked at the income level of the people you sampled? Um, we didn't look at the income level in this study. Okay, um, so you're now saying that the health message is not getting through to people with uh, what do you describe as a lower level of education. What channels would you like to see open up in order to get this message through to them? Okay, so, um, so first of all, I want to clarify, so our data does not support that, that it's just my interpretation. But what is the next step to get through is um, sometimes in those kind of like um, those plans that are like through some poster, um, there is quite a number of um, wordings or information try to get the message through different individuals. But for people with lower educational attainment, I believe we need like more, let's say, their interview by some people that they practice healthy lifestyle to explain like what they can do rather than like through um, those professional wordings or through a lot um, a long passage they can use more graphic pictures I think videos with the interview is um, like a very good option I mean lower level education doesn't does not necessarily <laughs> lesser ability um, yeah, exactly. yeah so so you know what, what other correlations are, are you finding simply lower education level Okay, so we also have another finding that is on their working status. Okay, so um, so compared to people that is having a full-time or part-time job, so people without a job, they are actually um, sold a higher dementia risk. But for this finding, we are not saying right. that uh, we, we do not try to promote, like, everyone you have to work, even... Um, you okay. are above 55 yeah. years old because we think it doesn't make any Thank sense. You. Thank but you very we- much. Thank you very much. Sorry to cut you off, the, uh, Vivian Zhang. Um, thank you for explaining about your findings. We're coming up to 10 o'clock. So um, that was Vivian Zhang, Faculty of Social Sciences from Hong Kong Metropolitan University. We're coming at 10 o'clock and we also say thank you to our producer, Raphael Blood, and our technician today. Here's the news.